This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. You can start out Hebrews chapter 9. And today is our first lesson. Congratulations for getting in on it. 
in a new series that we're calling So What's Next? And this is a study of what happens after our last heartbeat. Now, the greatest majority of sermons you hear in churches deal with this life on earth, how to be a better Christian, how to be more godly, and, and, and rightly so. I agree with that because I think we need to put the lion's share of our focus on those things that prepare us for eternity. But on occasion, I believe the church needs to hear messages on what happens after death. Otherwise, as is very evident in our society today, we end up with a very warped theology regarding the afterlife. So in this series, we'll be looking at several aspects. We will be looking at the matter of hell. Is hell for real? I mean, is it a literal place? People say, man, my day was hell. So is hell kind of like just having a bad day? Or is it really a place of weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth? Or is that description in the Bible just figurative speech? And, and don't worry, we're not going to be trying to hellfire and brimstone you to the altar. That's not what we do here. But I believe I have a responsibility as your pastor to help you understand what God's Word says about hell. We'll also be talking about heaven. Is, is heaven for real? You know, we eat a piece of amazing dessert and say, man, that was heavenly. So is heaven like the momentary pleasure of eating a piece of chocolate dessert that has a generous amount of nuts through it? It's coated with a thick layer of whipped cream, has some chocolate shavings scattered on top, finished off with some cherries. Is that like heaven? And, and then another question, since we live in the Bible Belt, um, it's a pretty good community. So... Does everyone in Eldorado Springs go to heaven? Well, I mean, at least most everyone. There might be a couple exceptions once in a while, but does most everybody here in this community go to heaven? And then we'll see how we get along in our series. And, and I don't have this fleshed out yet, but we may take on some common questions such as, hey, my dog was my best friend for 20 years, but he died last year. And so will he be in heaven with me? Or is there a special dog heaven? Or is there a special cat heaven? Well, I can answer that about cats. Uh, actually, no cat jokes. Uh, and, and by the way, I'm going to be nice. You cat lovers, you can just make me that chocolate dessert I was describing for my reward to be nice to you cat lovers. Or another common question that's asked of me from you all. Um... Is it okay to be cremated? I mean, does God's word have anything to say about that? So we'll see how things go, but we'll probably deal with a few common questions like that at the end of our series. Now, if you're wondering why we should even do a series like this on a Sunday morning, here's the reason. You might want to write it down. The reason is what you believe about death and eternity will determine how you live your life on earth. Let me catch that. Let me repeat it. What you believe about death and eternity and judgment and the hereafter will determine how you live your life on earth. Which makes me wonder if one of the reasons our world is so messed up is because our country does not have a clear understanding of what happens after death. In fact, do you know what seems to be determining our society's understanding of, of death and the hereafter? Two words. The words, I think. Someone will say, well, 
this is what I think. And then someone else will kind of just pull another concept out of the air and say, this is what I think. And then someone else will say, I don't agree. This is what I think. And so we have a country that stakes their entire eternity on this is what I think. Frankly, it doesn't matter what you think. What you think, what I think, carries no authority. As a result, listen to some of the common yet distorted views on death and eternity. For example, atheists believe that when you die, it's over. End of game. Final buzzer. You cease to exist. They don't believe in God, so they don't believe in eternity. And so when you die, you just turn to dirt and begin pushing up daisies. Other people, when it comes to death, they believe in purgatory. They believe that, uh, you know, once you die, you go to this, I guess, a holding tank, we could call it. And you're stuck in that holding tank called purgatory until your loved ones pray you out. What if your loved ones are mad at you? (laughs) Other people believe that at death we will all become angels. And I hear that a lot in this community. They say, well, my loved one is now an angel singing in the angelic choir. And they just kind of picture their loved one up in heaven like a little fat naked baby angel riding on a fluffy white cloud playing a harp. Doesn't that sound like so much fun? Other people, when it comes to death, they believe in reincarnation. They think that if, if you've really been good, you'll come back as a higher form of life. If, if you've been bad, you come back as a cockroach or a mosquito or a mouse. And, and if you've really, really been bad, then you come back as a cat. I just lost my chocolate dessert, didn't I? <laughs> and I, I think I told you this story uh, not too long ago, but you tell stories more than once. So let me have the joy of doing this. But... I heard of somebody who got into an argument with a lady who believed in reincarnation. And, and uh, she believed that she'd be reincarnated as, as a tree. And, and so she asked the person she was arguing with, well, what are you going to come back as? And he said, well, I don't believe in reincarnation. She said, but if you did, what would you come back as? And he said, okay, if you're going to be a tree, then I'd like to come back as a dog. <laughs> and I'd find your tree and show you what I think about your reincarnation. So so because of the many different crazy views on death, we need to dive into God's Word and see what it says. Because, again, keep this in mind. What you believe about death and eternity will determine how you live on earth. So, what do we know about death? The first thing we know is that death is certain. You, You know this. As the saying goes, approximately one out of one people die. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Unless the rapture of the church takes place during our lifetime, where committed followers of Jesus Christ get to bypass death, you can be assured you're going to die. Hebrews 9.27 says, just as man is destined to die. You may die in an accident. You may die from a disease. You may die from old age. You may die as... As that 56-year-old lady tragically died in Pennsylvania this past week. You might have seen it on the news, but she was putting some bags in one of those clothing donation bins. You know, like Salvation Army. It was another organization like that. And she was standing on a little stool, and she had put several bags in. I think she was on her last bag, and, and something happened to that stool. It either collapsed or turned over. And and this is a true story. She got her arm caught in that drop box and couldn't get it out. 
And there she hung. Her car was right by her, engine running. She hung there for six hours before someone found her. She died of trauma and hypothermia. You may die in a common way. You may die in an uncommon way, but you will die. Now, after death, and, and we'll talk about this in more depth in just a couple of moments, but, but the scripture says that, that, that we started reading, says after death, you will face the judgment. Just as man is destined to die, destined to die once, and after that, you will face the judgment. And what happens for you personally at the judgment depends on what you did with Christ in your lifetime. Now, as we look at death and judgment, I want to emphasize that Christ is the key here. You know, sometimes we, we, we get to talking about death and judgment and, and it's all scary stuff. But, but I want us to understand that, that Jesus Christ is the key that unlocks everything. L- listen to the rest of our scripture as we, as we continue reading Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, 28. So Christ, so talked about man's destined to die, face the judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now, I know that some people feel it's very narrow-minded to say that Jesus is the only way. But he is the only way. You know, we were in trouble because we were born with a sin nature. Our sin separated us from a holy God. But the amazing good news is that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus, who was born of a virgin... Now, what's so significant about being born of a virgin? Well, because of that, Jesus did not inherit the sin nature of an earthly dad, thus making him sinless. And because Jesus was sinless, he was able to take our sin upon himself. And there on the cross, he experienced a literal death. That was Friday. But praise God, Sunday was a coming. (laughs) And the awesome news was that he didn't stay dead. And on the third day, he came bursting out of the tomb. And and because he took our sin upon himself, then by faith, we can take upon ourselves his righteousness and be adopted into the family of God. And scripture says that anyone, no matter what they've done, no matter how messed up they are, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Would you say amen? amen? And today I pray... That there will be some of you, whether you're here or listening to the podcast or to the live stream or, or on the radio, I pray that there will be some that will turn from their sins and call on his name. And, and scripture says that your sins will be cast as far as the east is from the west and your heart will be as clean as if you had never sinned. And even though your body will die a physical death, yet you will Never die eternally. You will live with Jesus in heaven. That is amazing good news. So what do we know about death? First of all, it's certain. Secondly, death causes the soul and body to separate. You also know this. I mean, you hear this at every funeral. You could preach this. You are not your body. This right here, it's just skin. It's not the real me, real me. The the body is a house for the real me, but it's not the real me. And at death, the skin, the flesh just kind of comes off. But the real me continues to live on. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says, Don't be afraid of those who want to kill you. They can only kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. 
<laughs> That's good news. So at your physical death, your family will be making preparations for your funeral. The ladies of the church will get together and they'll work hard on the meal to serve all the relatives. The pastor will be trying to find some nice things to say about you. For some of you, that'll take a while. <laughs> and at the service, the obituary will be read and it will say so-and-so passed away on such-and-such such a date. But understand, you will be very much alive Again, you know that. You go to funerals, you can quote everything I've just said. I, um, I, I, I did hear a funny thing. I, I think I've got enough, t- enough time to tell this, but um, there was a minister, he was a 23, 23-year-old rookie pastor, and, and he had never done a funeral, so he, someone died in his first church, and so he was nervous, but things actually went pretty well until he got to the very end, and and he, and, and he said, you know what, your loved one's not here. This is just a shell. This outer covering, as they all say. And, and he got down to the part where all pastors used to say, and, and you know, we don't say it as much anymore, but uh, used to be part of every funeral where, where you say ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And, and, um, and, and evidently, the, the, the young rookie pastor thought he had that down. He was winging it by now, and, and he hadn't written this down in his notes. And, and, and so he said ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and his mind went blank. And he couldn't think of what to say. And he was, in his mind, he was saying, think, 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 think. And, and it never came to mind. So he decided to kind of lighten up the moment a bit. And, and he said, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. I hope this coffin doesn't rust. <laughs> now, now, you thought it was kind of funny, but his relatives, uh, uh, the dead guy, didn't think it was funny. There were no smiles in that family that day. It went over like, like a lead balloon. But, but the reality is that the body will die, the soul lives on. And Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die like everyone else, will live again. They are given eternal life for believing in me and will never perish. Wow, good news. Let's move on. Number three. There will be a judgment day. Now, if you're like me, the thought of being judged by God is very sobering. I mean, to be brought into a court of law and have the judge or the jury issue the verdict for or against you. I mean, I've never had that happen, but that's bad enough. Um, But the thought of coming before Almighty God and being judged by Him is very, very sobering. And I remember the first time that, in a sense, I went through a day of judgment here at this church. And before you called us to be your pastors 22 and a half years ago, you asked us to come and and do that trial sermon thing where we had to preach on a Sunday morning and and if you've never had to do a trial sermon you just ought to break out on the hallelujah course because it is no fun and 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 I don't want to be critical here um, but I've always struggled with the concept of a trial sermon and, and, and I don't know a better way to do it so I guess that's the way you do it but I do think the system has its flaws but and here's the reason I think it's very flawed, because the minister on trial might be a singles hitter or even strike out a lot. But maybe on the day of his trial sermon, something unusual happens, and, and he's preaching and gets lucky, and, you know, we get lucky once in a while, and and um, and, and he, he hits it out of the park. And the church is impressed, and they say, wow, he is awesome, and so they vote him in, but it doesn't take long for them to see that he's really a dud. 
and they voted a dud in. They're stuck with him and they wonder how they messed up so badly. Or, or it can work the other way around. Maybe the minister wasn't feeling well during the trial sermon. and Or, or maybe kind of gets nervous, freezes up, has a bad day. And the church thinks, hey, this guy's not even good enough to be in the minor leagues. And, and so they vote him down, even though the guy normally was pretty good. But anyway, the church asked me to come and give that trial sermon. And, and at that time, the church... Thankfully, just had one service. They were running 150 to 160, and so I only had to preach one time. And um, it, it came time for the church to vote, and and the church decided to run two other ministers besides me. So there were three of us at that judgment day, and the bylaws of the church state that you you have to have two thirds majority of the vote to be elected. Well, the other two ministers were strong candidates, and they're better pastoral. They were better pastoral candidates, material than I'll ever be. And and so um, it was going to be tough for anybody to get two thirds majority, and nobody did. And and, and you know the, the church voted. Sure enough, nobody got any kind of majority. And and I and when I heard about it, it was like, wow, that hurts. <laughs> And I was trying to be a big boy about it and, and knew if it wasn't God's will, if it wasn't the people's will, I certainly didn't need, need to be here at the church. And, and, uh, but I'll admit that the thought went through my mind of, I'm just not good enough. On the day of judgment at this church, I came up short and was found wanting. And Well, the church ended up dropping the person with the least votes and they voted again. And, and uh, it kind of reminded me of the way, you know, they vote in a new pope and when they finally have a majority, then the smoke comes out the chimney and all that stuff. And they didn't have the smoke. The smoke stayed in here. But uh, but anyway, they, they, they tallied the votes the second time. And I don't know how it happened. Uh, there must have been voter fraud. Maybe some illegals voted. Uh, who knows? Uh, but on the second vote, um, it did throw us over the two-thirds majority. And I don't know if we got just the Electoral College or the popular vote. I have no idea what happened, but but anyway, you came and issued us a call to be your pastors. But again, it was just like, I'm just not good enough. Well, infinitely more serious than any pastoral election will be that day when the great court will go into session. And the judge will walk in and instead of the bailiff saying, all rise, the Bible says, every knee shall bow. And the judge will open the books and the truth will come out. Secret sins will be revealed. Impure thoughts and motives will become public knowledge. It will be judgment time. Now, as we talk about the judgment, scholars have many differing opinions and we probably won't all agree here. But let me show you what most conservative Bible scholars believe. They believe that there will be two different judgments. And the first I want to talk about is known as the Great White Throne Judgment. And they believe that this will take place after the 1,000 years of peace called the millennium. Now, the question we want to try to answer today is who will be at the Great White Throne Judgment? And, and again, there, there are differences of opinions here, but, but probably there's uh, the, the majority would believe that only non-believers will be at this judgment. Let's read a little bit about the great white throne judgment. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, it reads like this. And I saw a great white throne. And I saw the one who was sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, 
both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the things written in the books, according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead in it. And, the, and death and the grave gave up the dead in them. And, and listen to this. They were all judged according to their deeds. And death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So what do we learn from these few verses? Well, at the great white throne judgment, there will be dead people. Verse 12 says, I saw the dead. And, 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 and most scholars don't believe that these are all the dead people that have died down through the ages. Rather, they believe that these are the unbelieving dead. Secondly, we see in the scripture that there will be books. There's the book of life, but then also some other unnamed books, which will probably contain good works, maybe sins. Then it goes on in verse 12, says that if your name is not in the book of life, then you will be judged by your works. Question. Are any of us good enough by our works to qualify for heaven? No, Ephesians 2 says we're only saved by grace through faith, not by our works. So if your name is not written in the book of life, then you are judged by your works. And, and since works cannot gain you entrance into heaven, then what scholars believe is that your works at that judgment will determine the degree, the degree of your suffering in hell. And then verse 15 is, is one of the most powerful and fearful scriptures in the Bible. It says that if your name is not found written in the book of life, then you will be thrown into Limnipur, or those are the Greek words for the lake of fire. Let me just stop here a second. Um, if you've read the book of Psalms, you'll see that 71 times, there's a little word that will follow a verse from time to time. And, and it's the word Selah, or sometimes it's pronounced Selah. And, and what that word means is pause. Um, or weigh what's being said. And whenever it says here, those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, in the book of life, it says they will be cast into the lake of fire. I wonder if there shouldn't have been a sailor or a Selah. Weigh out those words. Because that's serious stuff. Now, remember this judgment does not take place immediately after someone dies. Rather, it takes place after the millennium. Why? Why doesn't God immediately judge a person after they die? Well, let me give my opinion. And, and this isn't in Scripture. Just, this is just an opinion. Take it or leave it. But, but I believe this judgment is delayed because people's deeds have not yet fully ripened. Let me try to illustrate it this way. For example, those people who are responsible for the pornography industry. Uh, I mean, can you imagine how many people the Playboy empire has led into filth? These are people that have corrupted others, that will live to corrupt others, and corrupt others, and corrupt others. You see, their sin against humanity is collecting interest. 
You know, it's the same way with us as parents. If, if we do not live godly lives and, and we choose to raise our children in an atmosphere of drugs or alcohol or foul language, evil deeds, or even just casual unconcern, many times those sins will be passed down from generation to generation to generation. And their sin against their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren is collecting interest. You know, God cannot pronounce a final judgment until He puts the final period upon the final sentence, upon the final paragraph, upon the final page, upon the final chapter, upon the final book of history. Now, there's a lot more I could say about that. Remember, we're just doing a flyover, just a bird's eye view. But as sure as I'm standing here today, every unsaved person will stand before God to be judged and no technicality will excuse them. They will be judged fairly. Now, the second judgment mentioned in Scripture is known as the judgment seat of Christ. And most scholars believe that this will take place right after the rapture of the saints. And and uh, so, in other words, it would take place before the great white throne judgment. And, and, and again, not everybody agrees on that, but most scholars would be united here. Let's read about the judgment seat of Christ in Romans chapter 14, verse 10. So, why do you condemn another Christian? Why do you look down on another Christian? Remember, each of us will stand personally before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will confess allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will have to give a personal account to God. So by the context here, it appears that the judgment seat of Christ is only for believers. And your eternal destiny is not decided at the judgment seat of Christ. Your eternal destiny was determined when you responded to the grace and the work of Jesus on earth. But the judgment seat of Christ is the place to see whether or not you are worthy of rewards in heaven. Someone said it this way. While our heavenly reservation is eternally secured by Christ's work for us, our heavenly rewards will be eternally determined by our work for Christ. So let's look at the judgment seat of Christ. The the Greek word for judgment seat is the word bema, B-E-M-A. And it's a word that uh, is very rich, has a lot of historical meaning. It It was commonly used in the Greek Olympic Games. And so at the end of the competition, whoever won would come up and there would be a platform. They would step up onto the platform that was called the Bema. And the judge would come over. The competitor would bow low. And the judge would put on them an olive crown. And in a sense, that's what's going to go on at the judgment seat of Christ. Saved believers will meet at this judgment. And Christ will judge their works not for entrance into heaven. You can't get there by works. But they will be judged to see what rewards they deserve. Let me just uh, try to walk you through what might happen. Imagine you as a person who has been saved and your sins have been forgiven. You're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You're at the judgment seat of Christ. And and let's say that Jesus looks you in the eye and, and for the first time ever you get it. You see the love of God like you were never able to comprehend in, in your life on earth. And, and all of a sudden you bow down to begin worshiping him. And, and we're not talking about for two minutes like we tend to do here. But, but let's say for a million years. 
Because you begin to understand what it cost him and how much he really loved you. But maybe while you're on your face before God, he says, son or daughter, stand up. And you say, well, I'm not worthy to stand before you. But God says, no, please stand. And you stand slowly and maybe he comes over and embraces you and with a smile of, that shows that look of love. And he says, well done, brother. Well done, sister. And then he might say something like, I want you to step up on the Bema. I have a reward for you. And I have a feeling there will be dozens, maybe hundreds, thousands of different crowns and rewards he will hand out. The Bible mentions five, and I was going to give those, but we don't have time to go through them this morning. But maybe he says, I have a reward for you. And, and you will react and say, God, I don't deserve anything. It's only through your grace that I got here. And God goes on and says, you know what? I want to give you a reward because you were faithful and did such and such to me. And, and you try to think back and, and you say, God, I don't remember doing anything for you. And, and you will say, don't you remember what, what my word says? That what you did for the least of these you did to me. Maybe he will say, do you remember that time? It was Saturday. You were so busy and stressed and trying to get stuff done, but you felt you should go over and help someone clean their house. And, and Jesus might say, you know what? That was me. You were doing that to me. And then to someone else that stepped up to the bay, he might say, do you remember the time when you saw someone who was in financial need and you didn't have much money yourself, but, but you gave to them, not even knowing if it would make a difference? But you gave, and Jesus will say, that was me. Or do you remember the time when you were at work and, and there was so much to do, but all of a sudden you noticed a person that just seemed to be hurting and, and you stopped what you were doing and went over to them? So are you okay? That person instantly burst into tears and just opened up and you found yourself embracing them and saying, could I pray with you? Jesus might say, me again. And maybe to someone else, God will say, do you remember that time when, when people were gossiping about someone else and, and you couldn't take it and so you could, took a couple of steps forward to the people who were doing the talking and you, you kindly, but you firmly stood up against them and you defended the person being talked about. Jesus might say, that was me. And maybe to someone else, he might say, do you remember the time when you began to realize that so-and-so had no friends? And, and so even though you were so different, you didn't have much in common, but yet you got to know them. You began to spend time with them. Jesus might say, me again. And then maybe he would ask you to kneel slightly or bow down. And he would put a crown on your head. And he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
And so at the judgment seat of Christ, here's the bottom line. One day you who are believers, your work or your lack of it, will be judged. And I want to just say this very plainly. Many of you, you're going to be rewarded. You're going to be blown away. Because many of you, you are the most amazing servants on earth. You're generous. You're selfless. You're Christ-like. You will be rewarded. You don't do it for rewards. But you will receive them. But on the other side, I wonder if there won't be some people that will be embarrassed because at the judgment seat of Christ, where God is handing out rewards, you're going to be embarrassed. You took the step of receiving Christ, but then you took your talent and you buried it in the ground. You know, there's an interesting scripture, and I'll just be honest with you. I, I don't have this scripture totally figured out. I, I, I texted it to Chance this week, and I, I, I've been just kind of chewing on this scripture throughout the week, and I don't have it figured out yet. But, but let me read it and make an application, and then we'll, we'll go home. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. For no one can lay any other foundation than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Now, anyone who builds on that foundation may use gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But there's going to come a time of testing at the judgment day. Catch that judgment day to see what kind of work each builder has done. Everyone's work will be put through the fire to see whether or not it keeps its value. If the work survives the fire, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. And, and, and this part is the part that I, I'm just not sure I've totally figured it out yet, but it says the builders themselves will be saved, but like someone escaping through a wall of flames. Well, what does that statement really mean? I believe one of the applications is that there may be some of us that we placed our trust in Christ, but we were selfish. We didn't serve. We benefited from His salvation, but there's been very little evidence of His love in our life. You know, we spent all of our energies making money or pampering ourselves or just having fun, and we never seemed to have time to serve the body of Christ. We were too busy. We prayed the prayer, we received Christ, went to church. But we've done nothing to serve. We've never volunteered to help serve the kids on Wednesday night. We never took time out of our schedule to help a neighbor. We, we never took time to go see someone who was sick. We never wrote a note to encourage that person that lost their job. Remember the scripture, what you did for the least of these, you did to me. And I think on that day, there will be just tragic regret because... We will be saved but only as one just escaping the flames. But God would stir us into action. It's not a salvation by works. 
But it's a salvation that does work. You say, Pastor, suppose you don't have every detail right. Let me tell you a secret. I probably don't. God didn't ask me to be on the planning committee. He just invited me as a guest. And, and just for the record, I've sent in my RSVP and I've told him to reserve a place for me at the marriage supper of the Lamb because I'm planning on being there by God's grace. Why a series like this? Because the way we live our lives today on earth determines the hereafter. And so th- this morning, here, here's what I'd like for us to do. Just two things. Number one, if you are not where you need to be in your walk with God, if you have sin in your life, unconfessed sin, you're living in sin, whether it's a bad attitude, whether it's immorality, whether it's mental adultery, pornography, whether it's unforgiveness, if that is in your heart and life, you need to confess and repent, turn. And I pray that God would help you to do that today. Not, not tomorrow, but today. But then the second thing that I, I, I pray to God would happen is if, if you have given your heart to Christ, but you are not If you're not serving the body of Christ, God, if you're not helping people, I pray that today would be the day where we would just say, God, forgive me. I've been so selfish. And that we would take it upon ourselves to live a life worthy of rewards. I'm going to ask you to stand and As I said earlier in the service, could we just forget any prideful attitude? And if there are some of you that you would like to come and receive Christ, you want to pray a prayer of repentance, I know there are several that would love to just gather around you. Or maybe you want to just come and say, God, I have not been serving. I have not lived a life worthy of rewards but today today with your help I'm going to begin serving you and serving the body not that that will gain you entrance into heaven but God asks us to bless others let's pray together Father I want to just ask you right now that you would make sure that every person is ready to meet you. Lord, more than just the sense that our community believes that everybody that dies here is in a better place. But I pray that truly there would have been repentance. Lord, if there's somebody here that is not right, that is allowing sin to be in their life, I pray that right now They would be so convicted, so miserable that they would confess that sin and turn from that sin. And that they would live a godly, a life of holiness. Lord, I also pray for those that 
maybe have been living their life selfishly and there is no service. And if the judgment seat of Christ were now, there would be absolutely no rewards because it's all just pampering ourselves and living for the weekend. And Lord, I pray that we would invest our lives in serving others, in discipling others. Lord, not that we can gain entrance again into heaven, but you've called us to life of service. And so, Father, I just pray that today you would begin to do a work in our in our church, and in our community. God, would you stir us? We believe that what we're preaching now is so critical because, Lord, we are a heartbeat away from eternity. And so, Father, I pray that we would live our lives in a manner that pleases you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Is there anybody here that would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? God has really spoken to me about something today. I want to just thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else? I see your hand. Thank you. You can put your hand down. I see your hand. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. Anybody else? Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you. Father, you you see the hands, but more than that, you see our hearts. Lord, I pray that this week we would please you. Lord, that there would be evidence of sins forgiven and a life walking with you. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. I I don't know, is Lily still in here? No, she's already bailed on us. Okay, we were going to present Lily. She was... Here, we've been trying to present her for the last few weeks, but anyway, uh, we'll, we'll catch her next time. Thank you. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com, or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.